Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum podcast. I'm Ryan from Cultsploitation.com, and I'm joined with my co-host Martin. How's it going? Doing pretty well. We're we're uh, into our second episode of Kai June, and I just got back from vacation. Had to cram this one in real quick. Um, yeah, that's what she's. That's right. And we're taking a step away from the Toho um, Kaiju films to do a, another monster in the universe, uh, one that doesn't normally cross over with Godzilla. And I think actually this monster just recently got a Netflix anime too. Um, it's like a rebirth anime that I haven't watched yet, but I think I might do so at some point. Been looking for anime to watch recently, I guess. Um, I think this monster got its start in the 60s. Yes. And I've seen all of the original films in this uh, series, but I never had ventured into the the, um, newer eras of the films. And that's why I picked for today Gamera, Guardian of the Universe. Gamora, Gamora, something needed I know, Gamora. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, this one's from 1995, and like I said, I, I only really know the movies that were part of the original series, which is from, like, the 60s and the 70s, and I think, the, like, the last one in the Showa era went into 1980. Yep. Um, and other than that, um, Look at that. Fuck, it looks like Battlestar Galactica with a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, though, you might say some of the best parts of the kaiju films are their posters because the poster artwork is pretty great on a, on a lot of these. Um, not necessarily the newer ones, but the older ones that had actual like artwork design. Um, really spectacular. So Gamera... Um, Guardian of the Universe was a revitalization of the Gamera series because I think the last film in 1980 uh, was, you know, the, the it was it ended the Gamera series um, until the uh, Heisei era. I think I'm saying that right. Heisei, Heisei. How would you yeah. how would you describe, say that? We'll go with what you're saying because I don't want to add to the butchery. <laughs> the Heisei. We'll let you fucking out. I'll say I'll say hi say I don't I'm I'm not uh, super familiar the not show era, but um, this one is uh a re- like a, a revamp of a Gamera essentially for newer audiences. Um, it is t- basically it takes one of the main enemies from the Showa era, which was the third film in the series, Gamera versus Gauss. And it makes this one, like the Gauss, the actual epitome of the the reason Gamera exists. Because Gamera and Gauss basically go together, and the film takes a lot of time uh, to set up this idea that, like, there's a duality here between the two monsters. And basically, Japan is like, holy fuck. Before this, we had zero monsters. Now we have two monsters (laughs) that we're trying to fucking deal with. And um, they're uh, kind of trying to figure out what to do with them and they're not really sure what each of them if if they're both enemies or or what um 
But in the original Gamera series, Gamera was really not much of a monster. He was, again, like, mostly like Godzilla. Of, yeah, yeah. More, a, friend more, the a friend of the children. I think even more so than Godzilla. Like, Godzilla, yeah, he's sort of, she, or she, she, I guess is what you uh, she misunderstood for the most part, but Gamera for sure is one of the ones that is like, no, I'm not, I'm not here to destroy your cities on purpose. You know, I'm a big giant lug, so I do it on accident sometimes, you know, I walk into power lines and shit, but it's not my intention to, to come and destroy your city. I'm protecting you. And the original films really found Gamera fighting off like just various enemies that um, would spawn and like a Neon Genesis Evangelion sort of thing. And eventually, um, I think in the last one in 1980, they pretty, pretty much just threw every fucking monster at Gamera at that point. Like everyone that had, had been uh, attacking previously, they were just like, here, here's here's all of them. It, in uh, Gamera Guardian of the Universe, which kind of spawned its own sequels, um, there were two other ones that came after this. The film sets up Giao says like that's uh, Gamera's main antagonist, the reason that he exists in the first place, and it sets up this Atlantean uh, theme that Ga both Gamera and Giaus were almost um, engineered by the city of Atlantis before it fell to ruin. So, a lot to unpack there in this movie, but we'll start with: Have you ever seen any of the Gameras? <clears throat> No. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Never never cropped up I, for you, huh? Never I, I've heard of Gamera. I thought Gamera was just uh one of the uh, many uh creatures in Godzilla's rogues gallery. Uh but never seen an actual Gamera film myself, no. Mm. Yeah, I mean I think that Gamera, for whatever reason, just never became as popular as Godzilla. And, like, Godzilla's, um, I don't know if you remember, but, like, uh, I think AMC or maybe TMC, they used to play Godzilla movies quite a bit. Um, you know, like, later at night or uh, sometimes on the weekends, they would throw on a Godzilla movie. I remember catching a couple of them uh, when I was younger. But I don't ever remember Gamera being a big part of that uh block of of showings they didn't really well to be fair godzilla had like 15 years on gamera before he decided to show up so that is true i mean godzilla was <laughs> earlier gamera um had a, a large lull in between its sequels as well so you know from 1965 to 1980 you know they only released eight films in the gamera series and then it had a 15-year gap before the next movie in the series, the ninth one, which would be Gamera, Guardian of the Universe. Godzilla had a lot more... They were, pump, they were pumping shit film after shit film out. <laughs> yeah. All along the 60s, so I just chug along, chug along. Yeah. Godzilla <laughs> definitely had more of a consistent release schedule than Gamera did, so maybe that was a big part of it. Um, I don't know. I'm not a Gamera expert by any means. But it is, uh, you know, it's not one of those series that a lot of people have, uh, like, major love for. But at the same time, it did get major releases by Arrow Video recently. 
uh, to, to basically put all of these films onto Blu-ray. The Showa era got one special edition with all eight films and then the high, uh, the hazy, hazy, however you say it, that era got its own set of uh, four Blu-rays from Air Video just recently. And they were expensive too, by the way. I actually have most of the original series on Blu-ray it was released previously in a in a collection, two a two volume collection, but I do not have the new ones because they were so fucking expensive, and like I can't, I can't bring myself to be like shelling out two hundred dollars for camera movies. To be honest with you, we you should. Yeah, you know what? Maybe if they go on a good sale, I'll pick them up. Right now. I'm not, you know, I don't have the, a, a huge love for Gamera. All right, let's take a break real quick before we start getting into the movie itself. Let's talk about the beer that we have on the show today. This one was thrown together, I'll be honest with you. This was not one that we had planned or thought out or anything like that. It was one I had in the fridge. And I, just, like I said, I just got back from vacation, so I really didn't have a lot of time to put anything together. So I said, you did. Hey, you're just being lazy. No, I had I had work. I like I I did a really stupid thing, and I I only took the days off that I was actually going to be on vacation, and so I did not leave myself any time to have like a come down period after vacation before I had to go back to work. So I just went straight back to work. Dumb decision. I should I have hundreds of hours. I should have just taken more. But now you're waving around your PTO time like you're some fancy man. That's right. I. Whatever the man, you. Whatever the case, I did not take that time off. I should have, but I didn't have a chance to do anything else. So I said, "Here's what I have in the fridge. Take it or leave it, Martin." And he took it. So the beer that I gave him that I've had in my fridge for about a month is Color Spill from Beer Tree, and I believe they do have a series of Color Spill. Um. I think it sounds like it. This one is the Tiger's Blood Fruited IPA. And I think Color Spill in general as a series is a series of fruited IPAs with, you know, fruity flavors. So in this case, it's Tiger's Blood. Did you know what Tiger's Blood was before we drank this? <laughs> no. So you're not a big snow cone eater. Where the fuck can you find a Hawaiian ice? Where can you find a fucking snow cone around here? Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, I wasn't familiar with it either. <laughs> oh, you're not, you not haven't had a snow cone? Yeah, I don't think I've had a snow cone since the days of like being a kid playing soccer. Yeah. You know. I do miss, uh, or I guess sh- I shouldn't say miss because I never really experienced it, but I do uh, pine for the days where there's a snow cone man on the corner with his fucking... Stand-up shop. You guys want a snow cone? Now, probably, people would be calling the police about that, man. Well, we, still, we, just, still, we, have, we still have an ice cream man that drives around in our town. Sure. Ta- 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 ice ta- cream? No, no, but his name, his, no, but his name is Mr. Dingling. <laughs> and he, he recently got in trouble with the police. Again? No, not at no. all. At one point, he did. <laughs> well, yeah, when they were having the fight, the, the fight between the two, yeah. <laughs> Uh, ice cream man, acceptable. Guy on the corner selling snow cones, 
Not acceptable anymore. What about hot dog? Hot dog center. Only in NYC. Better be a nice saber rat. Huh? <laughs> yeah, no, I did not know what Tiger's Blood was either. But the untapped uh, entry for this beer kindly spells it out for you. It involves a combination of watermelon, strawberry, and coconut flavors. Ooh. So they all come together for a nice, you know, it. I guess it's a distinctive flavor, right? Like, uh, to me, it does, it's definitely distinctive. It, ha- it has a combination of the watermelon and strawberry flavoring, and then ma- just, a, just a slight hint of coconut. Again, for, for, for me, I'm not a huge fan of coconut, so I didn't want, like, a... a get smacked in the face with that coconut flavor and i think in the tiger's blood flavoring it's perfectly fine because it's not over overbearing or anything like that um but i I, yeah i've never had it before never never had tiger's blood so this was my first experience with it uh what do you think about tiger's blood or at least in this case the color spill uh tiger's blood fruited ipa it's good i like it um Watermelon's kind of always been a thing where I'm very iffy on. Mm. It can either be very artificial mm. or it will have a, like a nice taste like you're, you know, chomping on a nice watermelon. Uh, same with strawberry, too, when it comes to beer. This is really good. It's got a nice, really juicy blend to it. The watermelon's just right. It's got, like, an actual real watermelon taste to it. It's not artificial. Same goes for the strawberry. It's nice and juicy. Blends together. The coconut's very mild. Uh, Kind of balances it out by giving it, like, a slight little bitter taste at the end. Um, It's a really good mix. I like this a lot. Uh, Calling it an IPA is kind of silly. (laughs) I don't taste a damn bit of IPA. No hops, no malt, nothing. It's just, it, honestly, it's just kind of like a double fruited sour, uh, sour, not the sour. Like it's just like a nice fruited ale. It's really, it's really good. Um, if it were a nice hot summer day, sitting around the campfire, be delightful. But it's 50 and Quebec's on fire and polluting our air. So it's not delightful. <laughs> yeah. In this weather. But it's really good. Like, I like it. And if this is a series, which I'm sure, by the way, the can kind of looks, it will be like one of those different series. It'll be interesting to see because they do, Beer Tree does, and we've done a billion different beer trees on here. And as you'll know, they do a lot of really good fruited beers. And they are really. They do a really good job at balancing them out. And you, for the most part, the trifectas of fruits that they add to their beers, you get to experience all of them. So mm-hmm. this is good just because you don't really see too much, like at least nothing that I'm picking up with like watermelon, strawberry. So it's really good. I like it. Yeah, it does look like this is a series. It's like, it looks like this is the fourth in their series. What's the other three? Uh, they've had raspberry vanilla. Blueberry mm. marshmallow. No. And guava coconut. Guava coconut. Blue, so, I, say, I say the blueberry and raspberry are too predictable. Sure. <laughs> Maybe those, those must have been the early ones. Like, yeah, of course you would do that. Yeah. 
the start of those. So, but yeah, like I like Color Spill, Tiger's Blood quite a bit. Um, like I said, Tiger's Blood seems to be something that I had just been missing out on until this point. Didn't really know much about it. Uh, but I think it's a, a solid flavoring. Um, like you, I agree. Saying this is an IPA or a hazy or whatever whatever category they want to call it is probably a little misleading because it's not really an IPA as such. It is basically a fruited ale um, with some hops added, right? Like like any other beer has hops added to it. This That's what I get from this one as well. Um, I think this is, you know, all the flavors taste really good in this. One thing I will note is towards the end of it, it does t- tend to get a little bit of more of that like um, yeasty hop bite to it. And that's the only downside I think of this beer. Like I definitely get a little bite to it at the end. But other than that, it's really tasty. Um, you know, nice fruity flavors to it. Really good for summer on uh, springtime, warm weather. Um, it's a really solid beer overall. And I, I, unlike you, I guess, I would check out the other color spills as well. Uh, for one thing, for FOMO, just so I can say I've had all the color spills. But also because they sound interesting. And this is a good example of what they do well. And also to point out too, like you said, watermelon is a tough flavor to get right in beer. Either you get like really watermelon rindiness to it, or and it's too or, or it's too watery, too um, lacking in the actual flavor, or it's too artificial. It's a very 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 fine line for watermelon. So um, they did a good job with that. All right, on to Gamera Guardian of the Universe from 1995. Um, one thing that I can point out right away from Guardian of the of uh, of the Universe in the 90s is that this definitely looks like a 90s film. I'll go even one step further. It definitely looks like a Japanese 90s film. I don't know how many Japanese 90s films you've seen, but in general, a lot of them have a very uh, distinctive color palette to it a lot of like colors of blues and greens that i've noticed and this film awesome cgi 3d font for the credit opening credits this this film has it all uh also what i will say is despite the fact that we are now 15 years out from the previous sequel in the gamma series special effects haven't come that far i'm gonna go (laughs) Go right ahead and say that. They did not uh, ha- have two giant leaps forward. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about that in a second, I guess. What do you think? The plot of this movie, what do you think of that? The plot being Gamera uh, is found off of the coast um, as a, a Japanese um, ship collides into it and they're like what the fuck why is there co- uh, you know why why are we r- running aground in i think they say like 1.6 mile deep water uh and, and i'm told that it's moving mm-hmm. and then eventually at the same time um there's explorers on uh, a specific island where they they come up with a new species of what they think is a bird at that time <laughs> giant bird um, which in that sense does remind me of Jurassic Park, um, where it's like, hey, we have this fucking new island that we're exploring. 
um, we're finding these, you know, dinosaurs or uh, unique monsters on it. And say, so who knew Isla Sorna got this out far out into the Japanese? <laughs> what I always find interesting about those types of movies, though, where they say like, "Well, we have an island, and we just found this random, gigantic animal on it," is like, how? Do these things get missed? I guess maybe in the '90s we were still exploring a little bit, but it's it's hard to it's hard to imagine in a you know the civilized world where you have an island that's just like not been charted, and you're just like I don't know on this island there are fucking giant birds on it. I don't we missed it somehow, <laughs> you know. It always amazes me. But that's basically what happens in Guardian of the Universe. So, you know, you have Gamera being uh, found in the sea approximately around the same time that Gauss is being found on this island. And the film kind of pits the two uh, up against each other as they start to understand that, oh, yeah, we found two different distinctive monster types that are now going to battle each other. And that's pretty much the plot of the movie. Um, what, do you, what do you think about that? How do you how do you feel about the plotting? It's okay at first. Um kind of just follows, you know, really stereotypical uh you know, science fiction. There's a discovery out there that we're trying to find out what's going on. Um and it moves pretty quickly at first and it does seem like, you know, it's moving along. By the end, it's like re- like the last act like really fucking drags on. Like I think this is gonna be a problem that we find when we do most of these kaiju films. Most of them are gonna be ninety minutes, and when they honestly should probably be fifty minute epi- TV episodes. Mm-hmm. Like this film has a hard time justifying its ninety five minute runtime mm-hmm. because there's a lot of things that are just being retread like a thousand times over, and it's like this this is just like a Sentai episode. Yeah, I agree. Just, just, I just make it a goddamn TV episode. <laughs> I think, it, I think you're right. Like, in, in to some extent, a lot of the kaiju would really uh, benefit from a more focused approach to its plot, which really only is like a half an hour to forty five minutes long. I think that's really where it would excel, and you know, the then also the cheaper approach to the um special effects would make more sense too because it's you know tv shows are generally cheaper um don't tell amazon that for this fucking power of the rings uh series which they spent you know pretty much all their money that they had for television shows on but you know for the most part it would be more understandable for a tv show to have a lower budget you know special effects that maybe weren't up to the same standards as um movies and I think that at that point, you know, you would have a pretty good uh, TV show or t- TV episode if you were to pair Gamera Guardian of the Universe down uh, and maybe even devote two episodes to exploring Gamera and then exploring Gauss. And then, you know, it's like a two-parter, basically. But at 95 minutes, Gamera Guardian of the Universe doesn't really have a whole lot to offer the audience besides a lot of, like, scientific mumbo jumbo i will admit that i think that the science actually works pretty well and it's in the film's favor here like it does seem um 
more it i guess it i should say it's it seems smarter than what we get with something like godzilla from the 1950s where it's really just like i don't know radioactivity right uh does funk you know fucky things with the uh animals um here this the film actually tries to go a little bit deeper and say well you know what there was this uh bird thing that they created and at the time the earth wasn't really hospitable to this bird i guess it's technically a bat but whatever you want to call it geouse um it wasn't the earth wasn't hospitable to it but now that we've changed the earth so much and you get like this little environmental um you know, theme about changes that we're, you know, the earth was going through it in, even in the nineties, right? Like, um, kind of prescient, but because of the changes, we now have Gauss and it's a hospitable environment for him now. So here he is thriving and fucking eating people off of the Island. And that's why in, it kind of, it goes into detail about explaining like, well, why now, why is Gauss all of a sudden making its appearance? Um, because the earth is habitable for it now. So I like that part of it. I like that it actually tries to give a scientific explanation for Gauss. Um, and for Gamera, too, it kind of doesn't go into as much detail as it does with Gauss. Gauss, it actually goes into a lot of detail. It says, like, hey, it's only got two fucking chromosomes. That's weird, right? Uh, most animals have many chromosomes. Uh, humans have 23. This other thing has 35. Gauss has two. That's really weird, right? <laughs> um and it kind of explains the engineering part of Giaus. Um, what I think is interesting is the fact that it tries to attribute Gamera and Giaus to Atlantis, which is a, re- if you think about it, kind of a really weird setup for a kaiju film that it's engineered and that an ancient civilization engineered it. And not only that, but they fucking put rockets on a turtle, right? Like you said, who puts, (laughs) whatever the reason, whatever Atlantis was smoking probably led to their downfall and the collapse of the civilization because who puts rockets on a turtle? It's just a weird scenario. Um, And I don't quite, you know, know where that came from. And it's certainly not a part of the Gamera canon up until now. Um, I actually think Gamera might have been a space... I think Gamera was a space monster initially, if I remember correctly. And so, instead, they attribute it to the ancient Atlantic Atlantis race, which is a kind of a change-up here for this, um, this remake. Weird. Um, how, so... Another thing that crops up in this movie is the you have two people that are really investigating both sides of the the two monsters that are happening. You have um, the one guy who's involved in the transportation of the plutonium that the army is transporting. He's like, I feel really bad. This could have, you know, been a massive radioactive catastrophe if uh, we had you know, collided with uh, this atoll and and it melted down. So he gets involved in the investigation. And then you have the ornithologist, the bird uh, researcher, uh, Nagamine. And she's investigating Giaus in the other uh, area, the the, um, the island that they've discovered. 
and then you have them meet together and they kind of have this like little meet cute relationship. What do you, how do you feel about that relationship? that's kind of plugged in here. It's, it's, it's fine. Um, I, it's nice to see that the relationship throughout is just platonic. You know? Yeah. I mean, I kind of, yeah, that's where I was going with that. Like, I, I feel like we don't need to have an unnecessary romance story. Like exactly. in, God, in Godzilla 2014, I'm coming home. I'm a soldier and I'm just trying to get home to my wife. Like, you know, take up the last hour and a half of that movie when you're just like, I want to watch Godzilla smash ship shit and Ken Watanabe be like, it's the end times. But then you have to have an American soldier. Exactly. Life. Like, I, well, I mean, I kind of, you, you got the feeling that it was platonic. I mean, there's that one. At one point, the the guy, um, I think his name is Yonamori, he's like, when there's no giant monsters around, I'm going to show you Tokyo. And she's like, oh, arigato. <laughs> um, it's a weird, <laughs> kind of a weird phrasing. But, um, like, I feel like I don't want to have a romance shoveled into my giant monster movie. Um. We already have unnecessary children being the spiritual leader for Gamera. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. <laughs> we don't, you know, we don't need an unnecessary romance. The film also, yeah, to you bringing that up is a great point. The film doesn't really go into much detail about that. It kind of, and I think one thing about this, you have Guardian of the Universe that uh, doesn't do very well is explain a lot of things that are happening at the time. So it does, you know, go through the motions of saying, you know, it it, it kind of hits all of the themes that Godzilla uh, originally did. You know, we, we get newspaper headlines. We get multiple talking heads from reporters basically giving us exact rundowns of what's happening. They're like, yep, now Gamera's off the coast of so-and-so in Japan. Um but what it doesn't do is explain what's happening very well. So all of a sudden, those little conch shell things that they find on Gamera's shell uh, are now really important because Asagi is becoming like the priestess for Gamera. And the other thing that happens is for whatever reason, even though they, you know, the the name Giaus is really used for one monster there's a race of these bird-like creatures and most of them die out, but the one gets away and it just starts becoming bigger and bigger throughout the movie. And the movie doesn't really explain anything about that. It's just like all of a sudden you see Giaus and it's not clear if this is the same Giaus. And it's just like, oh, this guy's bigger now. This guy doesn't have the same fucking googly eyes that the other Giaus monsters had. And it just kind of does that throughout the movie without really explaining what's happening. So I think one thing that the one big downfall of this movie is that the script spends a lot of time unnecessarily on just like showing um, the impact of Gamera and Giaus and like all political talking heads and things like that. But it doesn't do a good job of explaining the actual evolution of the monsters throughout, which I found to be kind of disappointing. Especially you, did, you didn't like the part where Wayne Newton snuck the Gillette, uh, the Barbasol. Through the rain to, <laughs> yeah, right. To get these things built, Wayne Newton, Wayne Knight. Sorry, <laughs> I was like, I was like, what are we talking about here, Wayne Newton? 
Yeah. I gotcha. Newman. Whatever. Um <laughs> No, but I I I don't know if you agree, but I just felt like the especially the evolution of Gauss as the a creature is not really that well shown throughout. And I think it would have done a a better job if they had kind of focused on the one creature and how it was evolving. Um because it kind of I found it to be a little confusing as Gauss just keeps getting bigger and bigger and they don't mention anything about it. And like the design of the creature itself is is different throughout too cuz it's kind of inconsistent how Gauss is designed. It's just like a poor Rodan. Mm. Really poor poor man's Rodan just flying around. Yeah, what do you think about the what do you think about the creature designs? Special mm. effects wise. Kind of crap. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> There's like one like, point. Like like I, I, I don't know if that's supposed to be part of the charm. Like it's still nineteen ninety and it's like, oh look, not only do we have shitty CGI, we still have pe- people running around in uh rubber suits, you know, smashing miniatures. Miniatures look great. Like, you know, the this setup and the making of those, you know, they look great and a lot of work's put in. But then to have, you know, some assholes stomping around in a rubber suit in 1995, it just looks kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But is it more ridiculous than the, the shitty CGI that, you know, they had some guy in high school who's part of the AV club figuring out? Yeah, I mean, for me, like, I think there's a lot of different designs for the monsters, too. So you have the rubber suits, of course, you know, especially in, like, the the scenes where they're smashing through cities and hitting each other in slow motion. It's definitely rubber suits. You have um, what looks to be, like, composite shots of, like, you know, the, the gamma creature composited over green screen effects. And then you have to me what looked like almost like action figures of Gamera that were just like flying through the air because you could see like the individual plastic pieces on one of the shots it was really funny to me um I think the designs are not bad I, I like I think the initial designs of the Gauss monster are probably the worst because when you get the close-ups of them with their fucking eyes bouncing all over the place it just looks really uh ridiculous but later on, I think the Giaus design, where it's becoming bigger and it's actually a threat and has like the red eyes and stuff, it's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty good. Uh, one thing that I found very humorous though was all of the scenes where we have the missile effects, because those are quite honestly the worst part of this movie by far. Whoever designed the missile effects, uh, you know throughout it w- did not do a great job of making sure that those looked realistic because those are hilarious hilariously bad and cheesy especially the ones that are coming flying right at you this could have been a 3d movie how realistic those look coming at coming out of the screen at you <laughs> um one thing that I found kind of interesting about this movie, though, was the fact that um, even though it's, it seems like it's designed for younger, you know, 
for for younger people to be able to watch. Uh, it's, I think it's you know it's unrated, but generally I think it would be like probably a PG movie. There's no swearing or anything like that. Um, I found that the film was actually kind of occasionally more violent than what we get from normal kaiju films that I could think of. Um, like we do get like the carcasses that the Giaus are feasting on. Um, in the one early scene where they're trying to lure him into the the baseball stadium, um, and you do get a few scenes where like either you see like dead Giaus when they're in their eggs or. They kind of are ripped apart at one point. There's one point where Gamera actually shoots a fireball at one and just blows it the fuck up. Um, <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, it's a little bit more violent than most of the kaiju that I could think of, uh, which I found kind of interesting. Uh, not including some of the later ones, you know, for to, uh, from the 2000s, uh, especially like um, Godzilla 2014, which of course is a little little different than than these ones, but it's more violent than the original camera films um so that was interesting um one of my favorite scenes though i don't know if you caught this was when gamma first wakes up and he kind of gets out of the the water and he's fighting gyaus uh or he's fighting like the three gyaus and he just fucking swats one with his hand yeah just takes it right out down like a boss yeah just... i know i love that one he's just like and at that point you're like what's the problem this is going to be an easy yeah, I know. The movie should, like I said, the movie should have ended there. But Gamera wakes up, says, "What the fuck did you wake me up for?" Swats it down, goes back to sleep. It is. I heard the cry of a child. <laughs> I like too when um, Gamera gets hurt, like in the first opening moments, like he, a couple, the first couple fight scenes, he gets hurt and he just fucks right off. He's like, "You know what? I'm out of here." I'm gonna. Sh- you know, I'm shooting my rockets off, and I'm going back into some sea, and I'm gonna. Take you know what's nap. even better is when he fire when he fires that fireball that takes out that first gauss. Uh, uh, it's hilarious because it explodes, but the thing flies over because of the our characters are sitting on a bridge that's about ready to fall, and it flies over them like a fucking Hadouk, and it's stream fighter, and they they're just sitting there. <laughs> No, like, no, the fiery pits of hell, they don't get burned alive or, you know, like, <laughs> vaporized or, like, you know, knocked off from the force of that thing getting blasted by them. Nope, they're just bending right over. They're okay as it goes. And... I know. that. Yeah, that is, that is a hilarious moment. I thought about that, too. I was just like, yeah, the sheer heat of that fireball being just above them. Not only that, too, when Gauss, like, uh, roars and it, like, it was enough to incapacitate them because they're oh they're crippled, but it also knocked the fucking like the clasps off the bridge. It didn't like you know like make their heads explode or anything. And then they're, they're crouched down. Like, oh, we're we're incapacitated, Gamera. Gamula, Gamula. It's holding the bridge for them. Did you like that? That he was oh, yeah. holding the bridge up for them because he's a friend to the children he's, he's definitely a friend he's the film makes it clear he's and he's he's psychically and physically connected to uh soggy as well what did you think about um wh- why did get Giaus fly over it didn't he like snatch one of the the exploded Giaus's like bits out of the air 
was I imagining that? Or was that, like, if you remember, Gamera shoots the fireball, blows up the one Giaus, right? And he's basically blown into smithereens. Then the other Giaus comes and flies overhead. And it looks like they they intentionally made it so, like, he was, like, chomping on the other Giaus. I, w- I wasn't really clear on that because it looked, it was hard to, dis- hard to discern what they meant to show there. But to me, it looked like he was just eating, cannibalizing his friend. Maybe. And it looks like like that's kind of what they intended too. Uh that like Giaus cannibalize they're such they're such bad monsters, they even cannibalize themselves. They're and they're man made too. It's, they're horrible. Um Yeah. Other than that though, I think that the film, like you said, it does suffer from slowness in the fact that it does have battles, but they're kind of few and far between. Um, and the film kind of pads that out with a bunch of additional scenes and stuff that aren't really necessary. A lot of the science part of it where they go explore the island or they go explore the atoll is uh, kind of unnecessary because it doesn't really amount to much. And I think that's where you're, you know, you're kind of getting at the point where if that has been cut out, cut this down a little bit. It probably would have been a more enjoyable episode, but at the length that it is at 95 minutes, I do think it's it's a little overlong. And even towards the end of the movie, when we're finally seeing the battle play out between Gamma and Giaus, the audience, I think, is a little bit fatigued at that point because... Don't you like how... Honestly, don't you like how they showed Japan and all everyone being very compliant and orderly and how they're like taking care of what to do? Well, yeah, at one point the military's like, well, we can't fire on Gamera. Even though he's fucking destroying the city, we have to wait until he specifically attacks, like, with firepower. You know, they're so orderly about it. They're like, well, you know, I guess we just have to let him rampage. And to be honest with you, Gamera just looks like a clumsy oaf. Oh, yeah. He's not trying. Just, you know... He just can't take care to step on, you know, places where there aren't people. <laughs> it is funny, though, in the grand scheme of things, they're like, when they, like, first, like, they get to the dome and they're trying to, and again, like, this is great because, like, this film, I don't know if the rest of the kaiju make Japan look out to be smarter than everybody, because literally the only dumb thing they really do throughout the film is... Like, we need Gauss to study him, but fuck Gamera, we're going to burn Gamera to the ground. Like, that's, like, the only really dumb thing they do. Right. And, that, and wanting to, you know, study Gauss, because if you had Tyrannosaurus Rex, what would you do? You wouldn't just kill it. But the rest of it, like, they lure them into the fucking dome. They have lights that fucking flicker that stun them. They trank the goddamn beast. Nobody dies. One flies off, but it's not even that big of a deal. Like, like everything worked. The plutonium, if this was a fucking in America, that tanker would have went down with the plutonium and infected everything. Like, we hit the atoll, but we made it home safe and everything's good. And, you know, there wasn't any leak. And I'm just ashamed that it happened. So I'm looking to try to figure out what happened. You know? <laughs> I know, and th- this one guy too feels like personally responsible. Well, yeah, and everybody else would just be like, um, 
I didn't notice. Uh, <laughs> not my prop. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and I also love too that it's 1995, and although they do have a lot of new technology and stuff, they're still running around in like uniforms from the Vietnam era. Yeah, the helmets and shit. You mean to tell me as they're sorting and all these different fighter jets and shit, the uh, JSDF had updated their uniforms. They're still running around in fucking helmets like they're getting ready to defend the homeland from America. <laughs> but it is, like I said, it is refreshing to see like them just be like so confident though and like what they're doing. Maybe that's why like we don't see, because if, if this was to happen, you know good and well our fat asses would be, you know, sending every battleship over there and carrier like, hold on, we got it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're so careful about it, too. Like, they're both rampaging, and they're... Every, everything is, seems so um, organized. And, you know, it is a surprise, because a lot of films are about the chaos and disorganization of, like, the military assembling. Yeah. And this one seems so uh, organized and... The damn beast takes a nap in the middle of the day on the Tokyo Tower, just like... And they're like, <laughs> that is true. I mean, I thought that was a cool looking scene, actually. You know, it, it actually was like a nice visual of seeing uh, the the tower kind of like disconnected and, you know, it's nesting there now. But... And the guy's just sitting like, no, not Tokyo Tower. It's just sitting there because it's like, yeah, it's nocturnal. And like, and not that it's just like nocturnal. It's just sitting there passed out like. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that, I thought it was a cool looking scene. But yeah, just letting him just sit there. Kind of funny. It's hilarious. It's just. Damn bird can't hear anything. Just... <laughs> <laughs> so fucking stupid. The worst. The worst thing they did was um, camera taking out that fuel depot. Now the Sea of Japan's probably polluted with oil for quite a while. Yeah. You know, oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Gamera, friend of the children. So, what's the reason why Gamera has fucking rocket feet? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't really know. It's literally like the dumbest fucking thing in the world. The film tries to explain a lot of things, but then you, the biggest thing is kind of left unsaid. Why does this turtle? What? Well, first of all, why did they design a turtle? You know, like what was the? Indi- why would the? Let's say, why would Atlanteans, you know, build a her? I don't. Know. Not not only that, but they, you know, they built a almost a uh, hypocritical animal. You know, because the film kind of makes it known with Gauss that they were like, yeah, we're gonna, we got all the DNA from all the other animals that we had, and we kind of made it into this like the best of of everything. And then we made Giaus. But then you made Gamera, and you're like, well, we're gonna make we're gonna make it with the fucking slow DNA of a turtle. And we're gonna give it fucking rockets for some reason. You know, like we made we we know that a, a turtle is slow, so we we must build rockets into the <laughs> to the feet. I don't know. Yeah. There's there's no rhyme or reason to it. Like like you said, it's probably better left unsaid and like as a Sentai where you just have random shit mm-hmm. that happens and you don't 
question it and the film doesn't bring it up or anything like that. You just, okay. Um, there's a, there's a giant, uh, saber tooth tiger running around. Okay. All right. Just, I'm waiting for Goldar to come flying in. Right. Exactly. You don't bring it up again. It's like, the why isn't important. All right. So, on a scale of zero to 10 gigantic piles of Giao shit, what would you give Gamera Guardian of the Universe? I'd give it a five and a half. It's it's not bad. Like it's it's five and a half because this film's fucking boring. I'm finding out rather quickly throughout this that Sentai and Kaiju's it ain't for me because it's so tiresome and so you have a concept and they just run it right into the fucking ground. No matter how well executed it is, the fact that it's constantly just, you know, the same beats. And by, like, you know, the 80th, 70th minute, you're like, please wrap up, please wrap up. Um, It'd be more interesting if it was, like, a 45-minute, like, TV episode. You know, there's definitely enough here to do that and make it interesting. And that's, I think, kind of the way it should be structured. But it's an hour and a half plus film. It's tiresome. It by uh, halfway through the second act, it's already run out of steam. Just because, at least in my mind, because I don't think the action itself is really any good. It's a little bit fun, but I mean, it's not really any good. It's just run by the mill, monsters smashing each other, and missiles getting shot at them, and a plot that's like, oh, so this. These monsters, what do we do? You know, I mean, five and a half. I, it, it, it's hard for me to like put into words because I just, I just find the whole concept uh, really taxing. Like it's, I, I like I said, I think because I'm too old to start watching these films. Like, cause these, like they definitely have the kind of uh feel to them where the people who probably enjoy this shit are people who watched them young and got hooked on them like you know if you were to talk to me about like power rangers like like original like mighty morphin power rangers i could lament about it all day like oh. and like you know be like what a great show that was because i was five years old watching that shit 35 almost now watching this shit does you know doesn't really work so five and a half I would give this, uh, I'm going to give it a seven. I think that it's a fair movie. I don't think it's the greatest movie. Um, and I don't, I, I don't think it's the best kaiju movie either. Um, I think, you know, part of the problem is the nineties happened in this movie and um, it's both good and bad, right? So technically in the nineties, you should have better special effects. You should have uh, bigger budgets and you should have, uh, probably better acting as well, but at the same time, I think that some of the charm of the older style of kaiju films is lost here, and this film does not do a great job of showcasing the 90s advancement in special effects either. Um, it has a lot of the same older type of effects, but it's not used to the film's advantage, so I think that's part of the problem. Another part of the problem is that the film is just a little bit too long. 
Um, but at the same time, I do find there is a quirky charm to the movie where you do get a kind of an interesting science fiction background to this storyline. Um, it does delve into environmentalism to some extent. And so I have to give it some, some credit for that. And I think it's kind of an interesting movie that goes away from the original Gamera canon, tries something different. So even though I don't think that this film is necessarily uh, what I would consider a good film, I think it is an interesting movie in the Kaiju canon to check out because it does have some differences that you won't find in the older films in the series and some of the films from the other Godzilla movies. So I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. It's a little generous, but um, I think it's fairly enjoyable, but I did wish that it was just a little bit shorter. So for next time, we're going to get out of the normal kaiju um, canon of films, you know, the Toho series, the Gamera series. We're going to kind of take a step away from that and go into the uh, American kaiju films, specifically with Pacific Rim, which is a movie that I honestly have not seen. And um, I did not realize that it was already 10 years old, decade old. 2013 it came out. And actually, too, this is one of those movies that, you know, director Guillermo del Toro um, worked on, and I, you know, I've seen most of del Toro's works, but not this one. For whatever reason, I passed it up. So, Pacific Rim. Should be a fun one. Have you ever seen it? No. No. So we'll see how it goes. Is it going to be the Transformers of Kaiju movies? Probably. (laughs) Could be. All right. So if you want to hear us uh, cover Pacific Rim and uh, continue our Kaiju coverage, you should uh, check us out on pretty much any podcasting app that you can think of. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or home base at anchor.fm, which is now Spotify. Anywhere that you can think of, we're on it. So uh, subscribe to us. Leave us a nice review. Uh, we are on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for us on there, Blended Black Rum Podcast. Uh, give us a like or follow us, whatever you do on those social media platforms. We are also, uh, we have an email address at bloodandblackrumpodcast at gmail.com. You can write to us, let us know what you like, what you don't like, and we will take that in consideration. And also, um, we have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash podcast where you can donate to us. Um, anything you give to us, we'll put back towards beer, so we appreciate that. Thanks in advance. Um, we'll be back with Pacific Rim next week. We hope you enjoyed our coverage of Gamera Guardian of the Universe and our continuing Kaijun exploits. And until then, take care.